Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is Keisha Nicole Foster. Keisha is the recipient of the 2019 Cleveland Arts Prize for Emerging Artists in Literature. She is the author of two collections, Poems 1999 through 2014 and Bloodwork. Foster has been featured on The Sound of Ideas and has worked with for various literary nonprofits in Northeast Ohio. Foster is an alumnus of Cleveland State University, who, and she earned a BA in English and is currently enrolled in the, the MFA Poetry Program at the University of Nebraska Omaha. Nicole, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, when you asked me, I was very excited. So thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Would you like to start with a poem? Sure. Uh, this is a poem called Thursdays. Thursdays. It's T-H-E-R-S-D-A-Y-S, like hers, Thursdays. <clears throat> we must contort our perceptions of others, remove blurred blinders, look through the kaleidoscope of inflated egos and portent titles and snappy phrases. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Low self-esteem is visible within smiles. Shovel and rake the gardens of self, I say. Turn the dirt over and harvest this land which is ours, bodies, plasma and veined heart beating raindrops splashing on the shoelaces of hope. Enemy is self. We are surrounding the enemy with cheap off-brand imps. Fake hugs and plastic smiles get recycled on Thursday. On this day, trash is prohibited. Do not look down on others. Boss up on yourselves. Sharpen your swords and cestinas. Slice palms and flood antique rusting daydreams. Topple a ladder, brave the storm. Step out of boxes and into circles. A 360 degree healing, fingertips touching half rotten tree barks around you. Water them. No more voices trapped inside umbrellas. Think first, speak loud, outstretch the airplane, crash, pollock, change the rules. For the love of self creates a strong, secure love for others. And that is the absolute reason we must endure boulders of pain beating us pulpy. Wow. Sharpen your swords and cestinas. I love it. So where do you think authenticity begins for a writer? Authenticity for a writer begins the moment we decide that we want to write. Because um, first, writing is very personal, I always say. Okay, so we start as writers. We, we write because we can't say I'm mad or I'm angry. I feel like a lot of writers, <clears throat> we have these thoughts in our head and it's just kind of hard to get them out with our mouth. It's easier to write them down and then like say them and then give it to someone. So our authenticity starts when we decide and make that commitment to want to be a writer because you have to be your authentic self to capture stories and be able to tell these stories and convey them one, and two, you have to be your authentic self to want to learn the craft further. You see what I'm saying? You can just write. A lot of us just start writing, but the authenticity comes in 
when we take that time to learn technique and craft and then mix it with that plain language, our voices. A lot of times we hear bad poetry or bad writing because the, the author is not authentic to themselves, meaning to their voice, to their environment, to who they were, to their, to their complete self, their trauma, everything. So they choose to get the sources or they choose to um, copycat the next author because that next author has a Pulitzer or a Nobel or a push cart as opposed to developing our own authentic voice. So the authenticity starts the minute you make that commitment. Okay, that's really cool. I mean, it, it's all outlined in the poem. And do you feel do you feel like you're able to express your authentic self? Absolutely. I've not changed who I am, the core, the inside, but my heart, who I am. I've, that's, that has never changed. What has changed is um, my lifestyle, my way of thinking, my perspectives, um, my spirituality. You know, so many things have changed, yet my laugh, my willingness to give and care, um, you know, my outspokenness, uh, not, those have not changed. They stay steady, I feel. And that's why I'm able to sustain, have been able to sustain for so many decades because people who knew me in 1999, 2000, when I started and have followed me throughout my whole career know that that's still the same Keisha that was slamming oh that's still that you still the same you look the same you 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 still are the same person so yeah I'm I don't change up much sure and and you started writing real early so you started seeking that truth how how early what was it and and what did you do when you found out that, that yes I wanted to be a writer so uh, I yeah I started writing at like like really writing and you hear people say I started writing at eight and at seven like we all did okay um, <laughs> so <laughs> also um, but also I did I, I remember being in, in grade school and junior high school and even high school and just being like on a drama club or newspaper club or um, getting into book contests so I was always that kid. Yet I didn't really get into poems until I was 16 and I read the collected poems of Nikki Giovanni and I started like mimicking her style. Like what? Like just, and then it was when I graduated from high school, I read our class poem. I went to Martin Luther King, Law and Public Service um, on Huff. And after that, my friends knew I used to write poems all the time. And um, one of my old neighbors, when I lived in East Cleveland, used to hear me always doing my poems. And she said, I'm going to take you to this open mic spot. And I'm like, okay. And it was the Humidor down on West 6th. And the Humidor is a legend. It's a legendary place. I, I, I love that place. And I was 19. Um, and I first got on a mic and they used to say, you know, you lose your virginity on a microphone. And that happened. And it was, it wasn't that actual first day, though I kept going. It was <clears throat> a couple of months after that same year, it was a poetry slam down there to see if you can get on the slam team. And at that time, Michael Salinger was the slam master. And um, they were trying to get together the 2002 slam team, I want to say, or 2001, maybe. Um, 
And so I entered the poetry slam, but they had a side slam, you know, where they offered you $200. And I remember I was telling my best friend, I'm like, well, I'm going to enter this poetry slam and I'm going to win it. So what are we going to, what am I going to write? And I wrote 216. And to this day, that poem still goes mega hard. Like people love that poem. Um, and I remember I did that poem. I got a standing ovation. The place was packed. I got a standing ovation. I won the $200. I didn't make the slam team, but I walked away with a $200 check. And I remember it was me, my mother, and my best friend walking away from the spot on West 6. And I was like, you know, my mother was like, you want to be a poet? Like she, she just did not want me to be a poet. And I was like, I love this. I'm like, I'm good at this. And my best friend was like, she's good, Shirley. It was like a, like a movie, right? You know, she's like, she's good. I'm like, I'm good at this. She's like, let junior a- dance. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, you wanted to be a model. You wanted to be a basketball player. You wanted to do all these things, Keisha. And I'm like, this is my thing, mom. I'm going to, I remember telling her like, I'm going to like, like, like speak to the people, you know, like this is what I'm supposed to do. I was 19. <laughs> and it was at that moment I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so from that place, I remember I got hooked up with R.A. Washington. Um, I'm, I got hooked into the slam scene. I was on a 2003 slam team. Um, I remember in 2005 <clears throat> when it was the Poets and Writers League of Greater Cleveland, which was up at the top of Fair Hill mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> by 116th. And they had a they had an award or like an event where it was like the top 25 writers in greater Cleveland. And um, I remember that I got nominated as one of the top 25 writers in greater Cleveland. I was like 25, 24. And that was big. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah. And the scene was different back then. Once that happened, I, I remember I, I used to host at the Spy Bar for open mic. I was in a group called Eve, Eccentric Visions of, of Evolution. We were an all-girl poetry group. We would travel all across the nation and perform. Um, and then uh, Feek <clears throat> had put together a play, and I was in a play down at the Factory Theater. So I just kind of immersed. Once I knew that this is what I wanted to do, I immersed myself in the parts that I could, but also just who I was and as far as people saw that I... I was into it, if you can. Yeah. It wasn't nothing that I did for the audience or for the people or for the acknowledgement. I, I learned and my mentors taught me throughout my years, you get rid of that ego. The ego only serves itself on stage. And even still, it's a balancing act with that ego because once you get off the stage, <clears throat> you know, I might have a dollar in my pocket back then, or I might, you know, was getting on the bus to get home or whatever, you know, I, I, you are who you are. You are still that person. You're nothing, not to say you're not nothing bigger. However, that ego just, it will kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just immersing myself in the scene back then and attracting the people who would now become like really good foundations of my life. So, um, yeah. That's, that's astounding. I want to hear more about this, the the traveling troupe that you were a part of. So you you were with this group of all women that writers. It was started by um, Kim Essence Hunt. Kim, her name was Essence. It was started by her. 
Um, and I was in the fourth generation. It was three prior generations before me of these women. Um, and yeah, we were all female poetic group. And so we would perform at the spy bar, the humidor. We would go to Columbus, uh, Florida, wherever. We would go wherever. Not all of us all the time, but a lot of us. It was like six of us all together. And when we would have shows, it was amazing because... I was so young. I was like 19, 20, 21. Some of them were a little older. Yet the name that they had back then, like poetry was a different, the poetry scene back then was a different scene than what it is now. It was a lot of community. It was a lot of like collective energy. And so at that time you had like Noose, this group called Noose, New Urban Soul Essential. You had Eccentric Visions of Evolution. Um, you had Q Nice and he like started a lot of open mic spots. Um, you had just all type of poets and singers and musicians coming out to like all these open mic spots. So it was just a different um, time. And I remember like we would, have shows and back then really wasn't any social media you know early 2000s you still had to dial up I think on like AOL or something <clears throat> and so we would our flyers were like paper flyers and we would probably so if we had a show coming up we would go out to the club and literally tag cars literally pass our flyers like you know that was what we did and our shows would be packed. Me and my mother were just talking about like how just, just how good we were as a group. And she was like, you guys should do a reunion. I'm like, we're older and kind of have our own lives. However, um, that was good times. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys keep in touch message or anything? Yeah, we do. We keep in touch through Facebook. A lot of us. Um, I talk to a few on phone sometimes. Um, sometimes we'll bump into each other. Um, but that is a bond that's, that just you never can take away. I mean, we would have sleepovers rehearsing our poems before a show. We would have we would have sleepovers before a show. We would have practices, you know, and I was a wild poet. Like, <laughs> I tell a lot of the younger poets, I'm like, listen, live your life. You're a poet, you know. <laughs> they don't get it. Um, you can't I, write if you don't have experiences. And that's what one of, I wrote this poem. And in the poem is like, you know, you, you know, writing is not writing until you've broken most of life's laws like because <laughs> you have nothing to write about and you have no pain you have no you know you, you can't write about bubblegum all the time um it's, it's got to be some asphalt in a mix you know some skint knees some wounds somewhere I myself, I, I like pain because I've learned the language of pain and how to navigate that. So um, it's like second nature. And that might sound crazy, yet it is the truth because um, to get to the meat of some of these poems, they have to, not all the time, yet they do come from a place of real life situations, real life energy or pain or sadness or love which can sometimes still be pain so you know yeah okay um so you had mentioned that the the poetry or the slam scene has changed from you know 1999 to today yeah uh, is would you say that that's the entire poetry scene like that's a that's a trend you've seen in cleveland and or or ohio or, or how would you describe what do you th what have you seen in the last 20, 20 plus years of being active. Yeah. Well, I've seen, I mean, of course, with the um, advancement of technology, 
what I've seen is a lot more poets in other places access to um, poets that we might not have had access to outside of our region of Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, and Ohio as a whole. Um, I've also seen a lot of um, um, just poetry as a whole being on the forefront, not being this like lost, forgotten, starving artist art, um, because we put so much emphasis on the visual art and the music art, what we see and what we hear there, that um, I don't think we realize that the literal art is, is really the finest art. It is one of the oldest arts and, and it is a very fine art, so much more so than a paintbrush stroke or something. And you know, I'm telling the truth. Um, <laughs> and, and so with that being said, I always feel like even in that literal art, it being the finest, poets are still at the bottom rung of that fine art. And we kind of get swept under the rug and or it is the ones who get the agents, who get the, the like the, who get through the ivory towers, the gates, that academia, and, and then the street poets, beat poets are left on the side. And one thing I'm also seeing is um, people not really, and this is surprising, not really helping each other um, with, with, with their art or with their biz the business of the art. So what I'm saying is the poet that, that does have the agent or has the book deal or the connections is not reaching back or giving back to the people who may need some help or don't like, I got this secret. I can't tell you this secret, but come on and come with me. So I'll give you, so you can get the residual energy, but I'm not going to give you the key because I don't want to compete with you. And I think that's a problem in our, in, in all poets all across, you know, um, but, um, I see, I, I just see poetry being like at the forefront again, not that it never was at the background. It's just, it's getting more fanfare. And <clears throat> I feel like it had to do with Amanda Gorman's, um, inaugural poem. And the reason why is because such a stage like that in that poem and the way she gave it it gave people a new way to look at us as poets. And it kind of opened the door a little bit more for us to be seen and visibly heard, but also respected, okay? Because you know, like I know, like people who are watching know, when somebody wants us to do a show, they don't expect us to have contracts. A lot of us don't. Um, they pay us when they feel like it. They try to lowball us because, oh, you're just a poet. I have to pay the musicians. Well, the musician, is just <laughs> doing a the musician is doing a rendition of Shaka Khan. I actually sat here and created a whole work of art and you're trying to penny, penny and dime me. So that's a really um, good point. <laughs> I've never, you know. I've, and, and the thing is, is it's so ingrained in my head that I never questioned it. Like until I sat here with you and you, pointed this out it just never crossed my mind that it should be any different <laughs> yeah exactly and that's the problem that's the thing so so and so then what do you do you just go hard you just have to go hard you, and you have to say no I can't do that 
because it's like, I need people to understand we have bills to pay. And so people think, well, because I've been out here for two decades. Yeah. But also that's two decades of me just being locked into a passion that I literally have tried to walk away from. I've tried to stop doing poetry. I've tried to do other things. And it brings me right back to poetry because this is what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Yet, yet I'm not the only, yet I just happen to kind of make it enough to pay bills based barely every month, but I'm nowhere near where I probably could be if I had like a foundation, um, more of a business sense. And so poets, we miss that because we're kind of so wrapped up in going to these open mics. So we're wrapped up in this fantasy or illusion of what a poet is supposed to be. Then when it gets down to the numbers and we're like, oh, I got to pay these bills because we're so stuck in our craft, that business part of it is, is out the window. So then we get the low end of the sticks a lot of times. And then we're forced to have to work jobs that we don't want to work and put our poetry on the back burner and or put our poetry on the front board uh, part, but then not have the lifestyle that we may have envisioned. So, um, you know, that's kind of the thing about being a poet sometimes is um, it's a it's a it's a. It's a commitment to be a full-time poet. It's not for the faint of heart, I say, you know, it's just not. Yeah, it, it shares some similarities with stand-up, which is not a good sign. <laughs> it's, it's tough. Similar. They're both similar. They're, and that is true because comics, <clears throat> you know, comics like poets, we have to work years, you know. I'm just now getting the validation not that I, I ever needed it, but I, however, I'm just now getting validation in spaces that just, you know, did not even want to deal with me because of the Cleveland Arts Prize, because of um, my degree now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that till 2019, 2020. So all of those years, I'm in this arena with people who have bachelor's, MFAs, associates, and here I am two semesters away from a degree, (laughs) but being this wild poet, I didn't get it. Also, I'm not going to stop being a poet. And also, you're not going to keep me out. Um, So I've had to fight, you know, but, but still even now going to get my MFA is where I'm finally like able to breathe a little bit. Like the hustle is not as hard it's like hustle smarter, not harder. Yeah. I, I noticed when I enrolled, like once I got to like the second half of my MFA program, the quality of my writing went way up, of course. And, but it, people also would take poems that never got, saw the light of day before just because they saw the MFA in the bio. Makes yep. a difference. And that's what I know. You know, I do know that. So, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but also, you know, people who are watching, you, you know, don't lowball the poet because we are the ones, we are the, we are that uh, thin, thin thread that kind of sticks out of your clothes and you want to pull it. But then if you pull it, everything falls apart. Like that's the poet. Like don't pull us, just kind of treat us cool, treat us like, like fine clothing, you know, but um, make sure we're taken care of because you're taking care of the guitarist, you're taking care of the keyboardist, and they're just hitting the button. 
but we're sitting up when our family is asleep and we're reading, we're writing, we're revising, you know, we're mm-hmm. throwing away poems, we're putting poems, we're all for this one event that you want us to be a part of for 15 minutes and then you want to pay us like 50 bucks. That's not gas money right now with gas being as high as it is. That's that's barely gas money. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, how is how is the MFA program going? So, so far, the MFA program is going well. I am at the uh, yeah, University of Nebraska, Omaha. And how I ended up being a part of that, we were talking earlier, is because one of my dear friends, Michael Oatman, is a <laughs> professor there. And um, so he had been telling me, like, you, you know, once you get your degree, you got to get this program. It's low residency. It's low. So when I got my degree in 2020 from Cleveland State, I instantly got into the program. And so I started December. My birthday is New Year's Eve. And so the degree, the, the program started December 29th so I, of last year, 2020. So two days before my birthday, I was in my residency, two-week residency. And it was different because I am technically not that typical poet who got right out of college went right into her MFA program. Mm-hmm. I've done so much of this work that outside of the ivory towers that, you know, I'm coming in here and I felt I was a little intimidated, but it ended up being really good. That constructive criticism, the first two weeks, um, I have a, a mentorship with a professor. Her name is Elizabeth Powell. Um, I love her. And I mean, it's going well. I'm right now. I am focusing on Wanda Coleman and her work. Um, she passed away in 2013. Poet from Los Angeles, um, California. She wrote Mercura Chrome, The World Falls Apart, Wicked Enchantment. Just got re-released, which is a bunch of her poems. And I'm studying her on my own because, again what I was talking about poets just not getting their due but are really crafted up like really have this lexicon and understand form and like learn the rules and then break the rules like I'm a big fan with art in my in my literary literature um that I create and learning stuff and then breaking those rules and that's what she did and so um and studying her work, I'm studying techniques, and so it's and it's being reflected in my work. And I just turned in my second packet, and my professor is just she's just I say I told her I'm like you're my soulmate, Liz. And she's like <laughs> I know, but um she's very um supportive of where I'm going with my work, you know, because not for nothing, um I'm. I'm if I started at 19, I'm really telling my age, two decades, right? But um, I've written poems for other people. I've written poems for the sake of not embarrassing like my family or for the sake of not stepping on people's toes most of my life. So now with this MFA program, I'm very... Um, I'm very conscious of what my voice is moving into and what I'm writing about. And my professor and the whole program is very supportive of that voice. And I'm very thankful of that because it is allowed, because it is actually freeing me up of, of things that have to do with my personal life that has no, nothing to do with 
with uh, my poetry, if that makes sense, you know, um, because when you are, when you love what you do, you love your life, you love who you are. And, and so I love poetry so much. I feel like that's why I never was able anything other than poetry because I wilt. I like literally disintegrate. I just, I can't. This is either is words and letters, pens and notebooks, or it's, it's, it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, I have, there, there was a, a poetry professor in my life and he once said, uh, that poetry chooses you. You don't get a choice. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. You, it. It's like this poem by Alice Walker where she talks about writing and she talks about how, um, oh, excuse me, put my glasses on. And she talks about how um, writing, remember, she wants to walk away from writing and writing kind of taps her on her shoulder and it's like, but remember when we, the poem is like, remember when we rode through the mountains at the this and this place and we did this, but remember, and, and Alice Walker is like, ah, oh, but I hate you. I don't want to do you. And the poetry is like, remember when he broke your heart and I was there for you though. And that's poetry. It's like, it's like this, like, hey, it's like, your, it's like my four-year-old, like, hey, <laughs> I'm here. See me, watch me do this. And like, falls. That's poetry. Yeah. You know, you're right. Yeah, it's a shame though that the poetry still asks to have its diaper changed. It never never stops. <laughs> it never stops. But also, that's the beauty. It that's the beauty of it. I think because it, it does choose you. And poetry, when it chooses you, and then you take on because, like for me, getting my MFA, and you know, that is the that is like the commitment. It's like we're married now. You know, yeah. all the other times it's like okay, I'm just doing this, but I didn't really. Then I get my degree. It's like, okay, you get your bachelor's, but you can still go another way now. Yep. But then it's like, but then it's like grad school, you're not just getting a master's of arts, you're getting a master's of fine arts. And you're not just doing it in like all writing, you're doing it for this specific genre. You're committed. We're married. Like we don't just go together, you know, if we divorce, you pay me alimony. <laughs> um and 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 so you know that's the beauty of poetry I feel like it forces you to look poetry forces you to not only look at things and compare contrast juxtapose whatever it forces you to look at yourself at all times and see how you are evolving it allows you to measure yourself I can sit here and say after two decades, I was a wild poet when I started because now I'm the poet that's in the house by six o'clock with her child, you know, cooking dinner, reading a book, knees hurting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, but I love who I am, you know, and that's poetry forces you to love yourself. That's beautiful and very, very touching. I, I, I and I hope that people who really investigate poetry and or, or any art find love for themselves in it because i feel like not all writers hit such a positive place as you have i feel like you're very lucky Thank you know you. <laughs> um so let's let's talk about your 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 aesthetic your style so you said you're you're finding your voice what voice is that what does that look like and where you where do you want to go next where are you going with it with your craft and your technique yeah i feel uh 
I started as the, the people of the poet, the, the, the poet for the people. That used to be like my moniker, you know, I can find old flyers or old things where it's like, you know, I'm the people for the poets, interviews up where I'm like, I'm the people for the poet. One of my first albums was called Spoken Word Project for the People. So my main goal is to be the voice of the collective when it comes to, again, <clears throat> you have so many poets who are talking about the news and headlines. You have poets who um, are really getting to the meat of, of um, nature, right? I like to lend my voice to the downtrodden. I like to lend my voice to the things that people don't want to say or are scared to say. I'm not scared to say it. And we can talk about why I said what I said. Um, my style is very truthful. And so I tell the truth. I don't have time, even with the metaphors and, and similes and techniques, I don't have time to lie um, because I, 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 because of my lifestyle, my past, I used to be a good liar. So I don't have time to lie in my poetry because I would lie when I needed something or wanted something. Okay. So my voice is very, a truthful voice is a very honest voice. It's a, it, my poetry is poetry that, um, hopefully makes you want to be better as a person look at your pain and things that you go through and know that you will endure it. You'll get better, but also it's the brand. And, and this is my last in my bachelor's program, moving into my MFA, I'm moving more into um, like Toni Morrison, which is eliminating the white gaze from our black stories. And, but also, but, and so it's like, being pro-Black doesn't mean being anti-anything type of voice. And that's where I'm moving to. And I'm moving that way uh, because I've earned it. I've earned the right to, to say what I want to say because, I, again, writing for other people. When you don't have credentials like someone else, you have to tiptoe because why? I need, my, I need the paycheck. I might need the, the notoriety, I might need that resource that you have. So not so much stifling my voice, yet very much curating the foundation of that voice so that now, two decades later, in my MFA program, I'm able to write these poems in the line, in the lineage of Toni Morrison, of Nikki Giovanni, Sonia Sanchez, in the, in the lineage of Wanda Coleman, who were disruptors with their work. Now I'm not saying I'm writing to start a a a, a, um, a war cry, a protest, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. Not saying I'm not saying that I'm writing specifically to get my books banned, but if that happens, and so because the truth hurts people, it hurts us all, but the truth also heals. And so in this MFA program, my voice is is this maturity that I have earned due to. Um, things that I've had to endure and go through in life. Um, and throughout those years of writing for other people, I tried to write poems, but I didn't, I didn't know what it meant to eliminate a gaze. I didn't know it ever was a gaze. It's things that I had to go through as an artist to learn before I could write about certain um, subjects and topics. So yeah, that's the voice that I'm leaning into, just a very 
um, pronounced, legitimate voice um, of, of, of truth. Okay, yeah. And, and that, that makes perfect sense because desperation is exploitable and, and people know they, they can look at you and see how like young you are and what, what type, you know, what type of gusto you have and what type of, you know, professionalism you bring in. And it's, it's tough to just generate that on your own. Like you have to go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's talk about the Cleveland arts prize because that that's congratulations. I know it's been a couple of years already, but congratulations. That is a big no, deal. I, I still get excited. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you should be. That is, that, that's astounding. So let's, let's talk about that. Did that inspire any projects? How did that change your role in the community? And, and what type, what did that give you for yourself? Well, um, it gave, it, valid, it, it, it validated myself, me personally. It was my own validation for myself. I never even thought about applying. I didn't even know it was a thing called the Cleveland Arts Prize um, until like like 2015, 2016. I was working for a nonprofit, 12 Literary Arts, and the executive director um, told me, you should put your name in the hat for the Cleveland Arts Prize. I'm like, well, what's the Cleveland Arts Prize? He tells me, and instantly I'm like, like excited. And I had just had my book, uh, Guide to Culture, had just published my book, um, Keach Nicole Foster Poems, 1999 to 2014. And even then he was like, dude, nobody, people have to do collections of poems. On, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't a collection. This is just like my poems. And we're just going to make timeline it. And that's that. And I, <laughs> so that book had just came out. And I remember Alenka Banco at the time, she was the executive director. And so I remember I had got in touch with her, submitted my book. First year, didn't get it. Okay, Try, applied again, second year, didn't get it. The third year, 2018, I applied, didn't get it. <laughs> the fourth year, 2019, they had a rollover system. So they started that system. So if you applied in 2018, your application and everything else rolled over to 2019. Because I didn't apply in 2019. Oh. I applied in 2018. <laughs> and 2018 was the year they started the rollover? The following year, 2019. Yeah, the following year. Okay. <laughs> so, so the 2019 is they started the rollover. So it was it was this announcement made like, if you already applied, your application is still active. Like it's still good. So you don't have to unless you want to submit new documents. And I remember calling my mother like, oh, I didn't even have to apply. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if this the year I get it? Because and I didn't even apply. <laughs> and so. You know, um, it was about August and I remember I was taking my daughter to school. She was two at the time and I was taking my daughter to school and I get this phone call at like nine o'clock in the morning and I'm like, hello? And um, she's like, must be Takesha? I'm like, this is her. She's like, this is Alenka from the Cleveland Arts Prize. And I instantly like got butterflies all over. Cause I'm like, is she about to tell me I won this Cleveland Arts Prize? And she goes, how are you doing this morning? I'm like, I'm doing good. I'm like, how are you? Calm. Everything was so calm. I can remember it like yesterday. And she and I was like, I'm doing fine. I'm like, I'm going to take my daughter to school. I'm up early. I'm like, so what's going on, Alenka? <laughs> <laughs> and she was, she was, we became good friends. We're, we're really good friends now. But at the time, it was like, what's going on? <laughs> and she was like, well... I just want to let you know, these are actual, this is my actual smile, probably. She's like, um, I just want to let you know, 
but you are the 2019 Cleveland Arts Prize winner. Now, it, and I'm like, what? And I pulled over, my daughter is in the backseat. I pulled over, I started crying, <laughs> like weeping because so much had went on that earlier that year that like tried to take me out that I, I needed that. Like, whoa. And um, she's like, she started crying even. She's like, I'm just so happy for you. So fast forward to the event and um, it, it, the, that award comes with a $10,000 prize. And people don't know that, you know, afterwards people are like, oh, you won an arts prize. What do you get with that? I'm like, you get $10,000. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> for some poems? Are you serious? For, for some poems. I'm for like, some yeah. Poems. I'm like, that's what you get. And so what happened was um, I owed Cleveland State, like, again, truthfulness, right? I don't mind telling my business, which is probably why I, I'm still sustaining because I tell it all. <laughs> um, but I, I had owed Cleveland State and I had to pay them back. And I remember telling Alenka, and I think I told Cleveland.com and a plane dealer, like, um, when they asked me what I was going to do and I, with the money, and I'm like, I'm... I'm going to go get my degree. I'm going to go get my degree. Cause I had dropped out of school in 2008 at Cleveland state. And, um, I didn't really have the means or ways to get back in there. Cause I knew I owed that large sum of money. Mm. And I, it was about, um, it was a little under half of my arts prize and I took it and I paid and I went to school back to school that, that January of 2020 I did. And, and I'm in there and they're like, you only, got two semesters I'm like I know and I was February out May and then in August out December with my degree and um so that's the biggest thing I was just talking to Alenka and she was like you really are a testimony to what the arts prize how it can catapult you if you do right by it because I could have took that money and did whatever but I chose, I made a conscious decision to take it and to get what I knew I needed for that elevation because I had done so much of the work on the ground, skinned up my knees, bruised myself, you know, I'm, you know, sometimes upright, but sometimes not so upright, but still showing up for these events, showing up. And um, in my speech, I put, I show up whether I'm late and I might not always be on time, but mm -hmm. I show up. And yeah. that's the name of the game. You know, are you showing up or are you not showing up? Yeah. And are you showing up and ready or are you not? And so since then, nothing has really, the only thing that has changed is more people know who I am, I guess. Um, but I still, the work is still the work. You know, I still show up. It hasn't. I don't know if it's opened any doors. It's, 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 it's allowed me to stand in another posture, if that makes sense. My posture has changed because I worked hard for it. You know what I'm saying? It didn't come easy. I didn't just, they didn't just give that to me. It's, I had to work hard. Um, so it looks good on my bio. And, <laughs> you know, I got, I've met, you know, in my MFA program, people are like, oh, wow. So that's what it does. It's like a, okay. But for me personally, it, it it's not even about the prize. It's, it's, it's about the fact that I created something that, that, that people 
appreciate, which lets me know my work is never been for naught. It is for something. Um, but that platform itself, the biggest thing that I say I feel that, that I appreciate about the Cleveland Arts Prize is I get to go to the shows for discount <laughs> and I get to wear my Cleveland Arts Prize and you get to watch the next group of people come up and it's like this, you know, they be, I'm an alumni and they become one. And then to know that I'm in the vein of Toni Morrison, she won it, I think, in like 1974. Rita Dove won it when Dave Lucas won it. So, you know, be just being in that vein of artists, it's like a big go. It stretches back to like 1968 or 69, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. You got you got a legacy on your shoulders. That's. Yeah, that's excellent. It's exciting. <laughs> I'm ex- I'm very I'm humbled um, that I was really awarded that, and for me, with especially with this MFA, what we're talking about, I'm looking forward to winning more, and I'm looking forward to my reach getting longer, and um, me being able to somehow help people, help other poets with their craft. And I don't know where that, how that's going to shape out yet, um, but you know, that's my goal. Okay. And one final question. What is as raw for you as poetry in your life? What do you mean? Are there, what other things do you have in your life or have you experienced that are as truthful and as emotionally raw as poetry? Oh, that's a good question. Um, losing people. I've, I've uh, grief. You know, um, I lost a son. I had a, I was pregnant in 2010. I lost him prematurely, but that's a loss. I lost my dad in 2015. His birthday is this Sunday. I've been a little raw emotionally behind that. It's always before his birthday, not on the day, but that is a raw emotion. I've lost, um, I started losing people at the age of nine. I lost my Nana at nine. I lost my grandparents at 13. Grief is the theme that constantly recurs. When I say I eat pain, I literally have learned the art of grief throughout my life. And that is the absolute only raw thing that is synonymous with my poems because every time I have to had to grieve or go through the grieving process, I have turned to my work and it's poems that nobody has ever heard is work that no will never see the daylight because it is like maniacal writing because it's grief writing that is the only thing that is about as raw for me is grief and losing people because I take it seriously because um I studied grief, you know, when I lost my son, I studied Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I didn't even know Death and Dying was a book, you know. Um, It's this book called The Grief Club. It's like, welcome to the club of grief, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like that is what keeps me in check or what has always kept me in check or grounded to life is death. Okay. That's, that's fascinating. I, w- I wish I had time to ask you more questions. There's so many more. Uh, <laughs> would you like to wrap us up with a poem? Just bring me back. I'll come back. All right. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> It'll be awesome. 
need to go have coffee. Just hang out. I mean, I don't go to bed for another couple hours. What are you doing? <laughs> another poem. Uh, yeah, let me see. Um, uh, oh, well, I can read. I can read a poem if you don't mind. No, that's fine. That's that's. Do you have your first poem memorized? Was that a memorized piece? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was memorized. This one, um, this is Athena. I wrote in my last in my class. So this poem is a Sistina, and I love Sistinas, okay? I am a Sistina fan. Like, I love them. Um, this Sistina was written in my advanced poetry class at Cleveland State University. It is um, Ted Lardner, shout out to Ted. And this poem was written after Elizabeth Bishop's Sistina. And so it has her same in words. And this Sistina, I used uh, the, um, I used 10 syllables, um, so. His heart, a multi-unit foreclosed house, discipline instilled by his grandmother, memory, a disappointed child, clear window well, a dim basement, lit stove. His mind puzzles, reads Arab almanac, he gains knowledge to block his flow of tears. White told black not to cry, dry wet tears, pull them and broken sink that is your house. Sweet kitchen dirt floor like your grandmother. He remembers her with hung almanac, preserves her speech in castor pot on stove, shelters new fears, a sad inner child. When he dreams, he is a forgotten child. When he wakes, his clothes steep from bleach blue tears. Nightmares boil on purified copper stove. They snake up the siding of his single house. Ears strain to hear the hum of his grandmother. Forecasts his today, farmer's almanac. Black men's dead bodies battered almanac. Black men's dead bodies, once a fun brown child. Black men's dead bodies, well for grandmother. Black men's dead bodies, wilted Negro tears. Black men's dead bodies yearn to hug their house. Black men's dead bodies find warmth around stove. In the hood, when it's cold, we stand over stove. Hands cup heat translate almanac, gives directions home back to the poorhouse where there is a muffled mouth starving child whose mother works paycheck to pay the tears. Mother repeats gate from her grandmother. Black man arrested calls his grandmother. She answers, weary, cornbread hot on stove tells him she adores him stifling her wild tears serenades to him the world almanac points out the correct way to rear a child says she will wait for him outside her house 
He will drop stone tears, scribe the almanac, miss his grandmother, make love to her stove, show heart to his child who inherits house. Oh my God, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing. <laughs> All right. Um, well, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Keisha, thank you so very much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Um, thank you to the Ohio Poetry Association for highlighting me and just thinking of me um, to be highlighted. I appreciate it. I I promise um, it always still feels like I'm 19 and gushing when I get accolades or things like this. So it's definitely an honor and privilege. Thank you. The honor is all ours. Thank you very much. <laughs>